This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arsblog 20 podcast series in which we celebrate 20 years of Arsblog by talking to a guest about a calendar year of the site's existence between 2002 and 2022. In this episode, we're looking back on 2018 and with me to do that from La Grove, it's Pete Wood. Hi, Pete. Hey, how's it going, Andrew? Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. 2018 is... Well, very interesting year. A lot of stuff happened. A lot of fairly substantial, fundamental stuff to Arsenal uh, went down in that year. So where do you want to start with this? I think we should probably start on the biggest one. Maybe start on the the, the end of the Arsene Wenger tenure and, and how it all came apart um, for Wenger and, and go from there. What do you think? Yeah, why not? I mean, how did you feel about that? Because you were... Um, I think fairly famously more than ready for something new. Uh, let's put it diplomatically like that. When it was announced, were you surprised? And, and how did you feel when, when he made that announcement and when it, you know, we knew something different was going to come along? I'd actually flown back to London and I woke up. I woke up to the news in the morning. So I was, I was where it happened and I, I, was, I, I was sad. I think I was sad. I think the whole, I think the last five years of Wenger, I know that we had some, the odd FA Cup here and there, but it was definitely, um, he could have done better. He could have surrounded himself with young coaches. Um, you know, he had all the power at the club. He had a huge financial clout, but he didn't change anything. He didn't want to adapt. And, um, you know, I was going through old blogs earlier and, you know, he, he wouldn't admit that it was over for him. You know, he, he didn't he didn't see what was coming. And um, I felt a little bit sad, you know, seeing him on the on the touchline looking forlorn. And it was the end of a chapter. And regardless of uh, my thoughts on when he should have exited and whether it would be earlier, he still brought so much joy to my life. You know, I grew up on Arsene Wenger. I was in the stadium watching the football. I went from George Graham, boring, boring Arsenal um, to... Uh, you know, to, to Vengable, which was uh, a different level. And, you know, we've still not matched it mm. um, to this day. So, yeah, I was quite sad. But, like, how, did, how did you feel when it finally happened? A bit surprised, to be honest, because he'd hung on and he'd had the new contract. And I think many people were, were ready for change. But at the same time, when someone has been like a constant, like you say, for many people, you know, they grew up on Arsene Wenger. He was the only manager, the only Arsenal manager they knew because he was there for so long. And we knew him and we understood him. And, you know, clearly there are, when you look at some of the films and stuff that have come out, how it all went down, I think we don't really know the full story of it because uh, did you watch the documentary with the one by Gabriel Clark? I haven't seen it yet, no. It's well worth a watch, but there's a moment in... 
the documentary where um, uh, the final game against final home game against Burnley and it's Bob Wilson on the pitch and he's talking about, you know, he's introducing Arsene Wenger and what a, what an amazing manager he was, what a great football man, blah, blah, blah. And there's footage of him in the tunnel and you can kind of see that like, he's not comfortable with it. He's not comfortable with any of it. He comes out and he gives this really nice speech and, you know, thank you, I'll miss you, thank you, bye-bye, all that stuff, you know, and it was a great show. But you could see that this is, this was something that he he didn't want. I don't think he wanted it. You know, I think he wanted to carry on. I think he wanted to try and turn it around again, but it felt like at that point it was fanciful, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, and the, the shame of it is I, 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 he wants to work in football now. You know, I think he was interested in the Newcastle job. I think he put his hat in the ring for any top-level job mm. in Europe at the moment. But I, I think... He kind of soiled his reputation so hard in the last five years that it's you know it's it's over for him and and that and that was a shame because if he'd left in 2013 or 2014 or after that first FA Cup, there's no doubt that he would have got a big job elsewhere with a big mm. pot of cash and the opportunity for I, I say redemption because I feel like you know everything Arsene writes every interview that he has he's still looking for a redemption when he doesn't need to he doesn't celebrate his successes. Um, he's still trying to defend the, the the last five or six years of his career, and that's um, you know th- that's disappointing because we'd much rather read uh, a whole volume about the Invincibles, not a not a defence of the last five years that we've all forgotten. Yeah, but but do do you feel maybe that perhaps in those last few years, and I you know I think like I said, I think many people were in a place where we could see that it had come to a natural end, but there was still some success. There were the FA Cups, and I can't deny that the FA Cups were an amazing um, days out and amazing successes, and there was the year we probably should have won the title when Leicester won the title. You know, in his mind, perhaps a, a question that maybe football is fine margins, and he came close, or in his mind, he came close to to maybe doing what, what you know he wanted to do and what we all wanted him to do was to bring back the, the big trophy in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, even in his last season, we'll forget the the league. He got got to a League Cup final. Mm. Um, you know, we lost, but you know, you win that League Cup final. Maybe maybe he gets another year in the job. Um, and I think that the last ten years really were. It, it was a fine margins game. If if he had hired a younger group of coaches that were thinking about football in a more modern way, if he had refreshed um, his scouting group and didn't spend 150 million on Mustafi, Perez, <laughs> Asano. You mm. know, like th- th- those, those. That's where the mistakes. Um, that, that's where the mistakes happened. And I think the most difficult thing is he, he never. Um, he always believed that his artistic view of football um, could survive uh, versus you know taking a bit of a reality pill and realizing that maybe he'd have to do um, something a little more structured because you know some of Arteta's strengths with his defensive lineup could be peppered with a with an Arsene Wenger like character to mm. open up the, the the front four or five so um yeah opportunity missed definitely um fine margins but um you know the the time was right to go but little did we know that all of the mis- all of the things that were happening during 2018 that we thought felt like progress for Arsenal were actually the beginnings of something a lot a lot worse. All right. So where are you going next after Arsene departs? What's next? So I want I wanted to the second part is 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 the plan mm. because uh, Ivan Gazidis um, had had a plan that on paper seemed pretty good and 
I think everybody was like, what, maybe Arsene, maybe Arsene and Ivan splitting apart. Maybe we'll get to see what Ivan's all about. Mm-hmm. And um, he started putting that plan in place uh, from November, uh, the year before. Raul Signelli, the, the Barcelona bagman, the guy that would get the deal uh, done no matter what. And Arsenal weren't very good at getting deals over the line. So we brought in uh, somebody that, that knew the super agents, somebody that knew the clubs from all over the world. And I think... M- most Arsenal fans were quite excited. And mm. I, I remember writing, look, I don't like the dark arts of football. And I know that you don't either. But sometimes you need a little bit of that to, to get deals over the line. And we'd certainly missed out on the sort of guy that would say, listen, if it's an extra five million, let's just pay it because it will be worth it in the long run. So we got contracts person, some with connections into UEFA. Then we went out and signed the best scout in Europe, or at least the scout with the biggest brand name, Diamond Eyes, Sven Mislin Tat, who kind of worked for... Arsenal's reality. He was good at unearthing gems, looking in places where nobody else would look. Um, and, you know, he discovered players like Obama Yang, uh, Kagawa. Like he, he had a he had a real list of exciting names. Mm. And I think everybody looks at Dortmund and they were like, listen, if you can take that and, and add a bit of premium to it, then we've got the, the mechanics of a good club if you hire a, a good manager. Um, so... Our first, our first January with Raul and, and Sven. And I know, I know that Raul wasn't actually in the building, but I don't believe that he wasn't part of the decision-making. Mm. Um, the first major, major decision um, that cost us a lot was giving Mesut Ozil 350000 a week. So you'd have to imagine that Raul was involved in that decision-making. Ivan didn't want to let another player go on a free transfer. And I think Arsenal fans were kind of happy that yeah. we'd signed this creative genius, but it was a bad decision. Then we went out and Arsenal became Shortcut FC, and this was the the prelude to where we were going. They wanted to get back to the top quickly, and we swapped Sanchez for Mkhitaryan because on paper, Mkhitaryan looked like an exciting creative midfielder. Mm. And I was excited because I remember him, you know, going to see him at when, when he was at Dortmund, um, you know, and m- maybe he was being unfairly treated at United, and we thought... Best of a bad, you know, best of a bad deal to, to get a creator in. And then the the final piece of the puzzle, we went out and we signed Aubameyang. I think that was at the, the time when fans first started spying on cars and we caught Sven and Ivan at the airport coming out of a, 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 a fancy car. <laughs> so he was signed last day of the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that was actually quite deliberate, I think. You know, it was Mislinta and... Aubameyang pictured at an airport um, or wherever it was and uh, Aubameyang's car. I mean, that's when you say it now, you know, such a lot happened in that January. You know, the Ozil thing, you know, it's it's a bit like the Aubameyang situation in that, like, when it happened, I was like, yeah, I, I can see the logic to this. When we were signing Mesut Ozil, it was like, well, we can't lose Sanchez and Ozil at the same time. There's no way. You can't be taken seriously. It was sort of hark back to that. I think that fear might have come from, you know, the Fabregas Nasri summer when Arsene Wenger said, how can you see yourself as a big club if you lose Fabregas and Nasri in the one window? I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along those lines. And of course, that's exactly what we did. And the the following January, if I'm right, I think we gave Theo Walcott the highest contract that we'd ever given anyone or one of them anyway. He became our highest paid player. Yeah. yeah. So it's like a pattern of behavior, but it was similar when, when the Sanchez thing happened the previous summer. You know, we were going to keep him, we were going to keep him, we were going to keep him. And then it was like, oh, shit, we'll sell him. And 
there was a move to Man City. It broke down. He was unhappy. But the Ozil thing, it felt like, okay, you can build with this player still. I know he's heading towards the end of his career, but then then you bring in Aubameyang. And I remember thinking at the time, like, imagine Ozil feeding chances to Aubameyang. This, this could be... This could be great. And I I have to look up the stats again, but I think he gave him one assist in his entire time. <laughs> Which is mad, yeah. isn't it, when you think about it? Especially when you think about how well Ozil worked with Giroud mm. and Sanchez. And just the idea of Aubameyang running in behind and a laser-guided pass from Mesut Ozil. Yeah, a lot went down. The Mkhitaryan thing I was always a bit dubious about because it didn't seem to work well for him in English football. But, you know, again, you could ascribe it to Mourinho and what was going on at United, but it didn't really work for him at Arsenal either. So so where are we going next? I presume towards the the big decision of that triumvirate? The, yeah, the, head into the managerial decision. Yeah. So the the undercurrent to the managerial decision. So Arsenal made a big fuss I can't remember how many managers they interviewed. I don't know, was it 10 or they 11? Said, or say, yeah, they said, like they said, but... They had a list. Mm. They had a list and they were going to talk to people. Um, Allegri was reportedly on the list and wanted 150 million and he didn't mm. impress people. I think Conte threw his name in, but they didn't want to work with him because of, you know, how short-term he is. Um, and Arteta's name mm. came up in conversation and... The, there was a story when it when it came to Emery. There was a story about a presentation that Emery gave yeah. that blew everybody away. But the uh, from what I understand, Arteta was the one that gave the presentation that blew everybody away. And then as a counter a counterpoint to that in the PR, they said that Emery was the one that gave the presentation, but he didn't. So um, from and also from what I understand, Unai Emery was not in the running um, on the, on Arsenal's original list. Mm. And what we found out later is uh, Canales, the super agent, put his client's name into the mixer. And we know that because Unai Emery's on record as saying that. And Unai Emery went in for an interview, couldn't speak a word of English. Um, He was clearly Raul's man. And Arteta was shoved out of the running. And we gave the job to, to, to Unai Emery. And that's when things started to feel odd. Like there wasn't... I, and again, we're back to it. It's like, on paper, a guy who's won a bunch of Europa Leagues, um, been at PSG, mm. uh, you know, Spanish, and, you know, we've got some good affiliations with Spanish. It looked like a good idea, but when you scratch beneath the surface and looked at his issues that he'd had at other clubs, biggest one, struggle for language in France, struggle for language in, uh, you know, when he was in, in Russia. Um, struggled to deal with big egos, had a very defensive approach to football. Players thought he was a soft touch. Um, he had absolutely no record of being able to build a defense. And, you know, we didn't we didn't have problems in attack. It was the defense mm. for 10 years. So it started to look like uh, a, a great a great idea on paper, but not what not what we needed. No, it was so weird. We were doing a I remember we were doing a live Arscast Extra in Union Chapel and we spent myself and James, Amy and Philippe, we spent the first 45 minutes talking about Mikel Arteta because that was the story. Arteta was in London, he was house hunting, all of that stuff was going down at the time. We talked about it and we talked about it in a fairly rational way because it was, you know, at that point, 
you know, he was, what, a year, year and a half into his coaching career. So it would have been a huge gamble. I mean, I think we're seeing at the moment that it's still, you know, you're working through some issues with a young manager and some of the, 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 the problems that he has to deal with, with the, the inexperience, et cetera. We talked about it and we were like, well, you know, maybe blah, blah, blah. Halftime came. And there was like a an Orn bomb, an Ornstein bomb at halftime on Twitter. Arsenal have appointed Unai Emery, and we announced it in the room, and everyone was like, "What? Where did this Wh- come from? Where did this come from?" And you're right, you know, it is a weird one to think about because there were names mentioned beyond Arteta, but but nobody seriously. Emery came out of nowhere, and to me, the idea that that. You know, I, I have to say, I really respect Unai Emery's desire to talk English, to communicate in English from day one, because it's really difficult when you go to a country where it's your second language to express yourself properly and, you know, not to feel self-conscious about how you're speaking, your accent, all that kind of stuff. So I always really respected his his determination to come in from day one and speak English and learn English and all of that kind of stuff. But I do not to this day, understand how a guy who had no English or very, very, very limited English could wow Ivan Gazidis and Sven Mislintat and Raul Sanyehi with a presentation because the only other person in that room who spoke Spanish was Raul Sanyehi. So how, exactly. how this, how Raul convinced... Ivan and Sven, or I, I don't, I really don't get it to this day. What happened that made them pivot so much? I can only assume that it, from the Gazidis point of view, it was like uh, he was just too afraid of appointing Arteta at that point because he was so inexperienced. And then Gazidis plus Sanyehi was, you know, two versus one against Mislintat if Sven, you know, had an objection to, to Emery at that point. That's the only way I can think that it came about. And that kind of leads into the the penultimate point on this one. Mm. Maybe it was because Ivan Gazidis was trying to agree a package with AC Milan. Maybe mm. his head wasn't in it. And maybe he trusted that Raul, you know, if, if, if Raul knew and maybe Raul was saying, listen, you don't have to live with this decision and he's my man. But it was... Um, it, I think at the time, Ivan Gazidis came out and said uh, basically something like we all drew straws or or we all wrote that wrote down our answers on a yeah, piece of yeah, paper. Yeah. It's and, like and the three names. A, yeah, yeah. They, were re- they were really desperate to try and make out that no one person made the decision. It was a democratic agreement. Mm. But I don't believe that Sven Mislintat would pick a coach like Emery. Not sure about um, Gazidis, but you know we all knew the, that Raul wanted him in and... I don't think we really knew um, quite how reliant Raul was on super agents at that point. Yeah. I think at that time, maybe it was seen as uh, as a bonus. Um, it hadn't yet become a problem like it did later on. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Like, because Wenger was always reluctant to deal with those guys and he was reluctant to to have them involved in the deals in any way, even if not necessarily as the agent, but as brokers, which is what they do, you know, beyond representing players. You know, I think people understand that that agents get involved in certain deals, asked by clubs to negotiate, you know, incomings and outgoings and that kind of stuff. But, you know, yeah, it was, it was a weird thing because it became public knowledge quite quickly afterwards that, that Ivan Gazidis was being courted by... 
AC Milan. And we had this idea, didn't we, that when Wenger went, we couldn't have another all-powerful manager. That's just not the way modern football clubs ran. So you need the chief executive. You need the diamond eye scout, the guy who's going to spot the talent. And then you need the Raul guy who's going to get those deals over the line. So it felt like something that was really progressive and modern and a structure around which we could build because I'm pretty sure everybody understood that when Wenger left, same as when Ferguson left Manchester United, there was going to be a period of uncertainty or or destabilization whatever you want to call it until you know everybody got their 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 particular roles sorted out but then for Gazidis to 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 go I don't know when exactly the announcement was made but the rumors were pretty quickly after Emery was appointed that that uh, Gazidis was going to go to AC Milan so it was immediately that 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 structure that we thought was going to be there immediately fell apart yeah, and it's uh, Ivan did do a bit of succession planning, which was also disastrous. He created a a, 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 a partnership, a CEO partnership mm. um, between Raúl and Vinay. Raúl, quite a, a domineering alpha male like leader. Vinay, not really cut from that same cloth, and that created a, a, a power vacuum. And that created opportunity for Raul to, you know, he was the far more experienced man mm. um, in that situation. And I think that that was the point where the club really started to veer off onto the wrong track. Raul wasn't a football guy. No, he was you know, a business guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. Mer- merchandise person from Nike, bag man for Neymar, for the Neymar deal. Like there's so many, so many flashing red lights about allowing that to happen. But um the KSE uh, allowed a shared leadership position. And what they should have gone out and done is found the best football CEO in Europe. Go and find out how much Zork wants over at, at Dortmund mm. and see if you can lure him over. There's lots of good opportunities to to, to bring in proper leadership, but we didn't. Um, and that set off Arsenal off on a really bad path. Um, it didn't last long, but it ultimately cost us a huge amount of money um, because football decisions went to a non-footballing person and all of the, the the agents that were surrounding them at the yeah. same time. Yeah, it is mad, isn't it? When you think about the, you know, they just gave him the top footballing job at Arsenal on the say-so of, of Ivan Gazidis. You know, and his background, like you say, was in merchandising. He was with Nike. He was a business guy. He's a contacts guy, a schmoozer. Uh, you, know, you know, he's got the black book of contacts and all of that kind of stuff. But his speciality was not football. It was not recruitment it was not talent spotting and you know to compound the error the guy that we did have there to do that this power vacuum emerged because he had been promised the sporting director's job by Ivan Gazidis this was was what brought Mislintad in but when Ivan left and Raul was made head of football and Vinay was like the CEO or chief executive of business or whatever it was all of a sudden, there's no place for Mislintat anymore to do the work that he wanted to do. And Raul is making football decisions, which, you know, I, I think many of them turned out to be questionable. Yeah, and I, I did, I did. I should have mentioned it in the January portion. I did hear um, through the grapevine that the big disagreement between Mislintat and Raul came uh, on the signing of Aubameyang because Raul wanted to sign Malcolm. Um, oh, I remember, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, he shares the same agent as Gabrielle, and there was a bit of a falling out, and Sven won that. But mm. then, when it when it came to the back end of the year, then Raúl made made his move, and mm. um, he and and Sven, the people from Arsenal, um, when we started writing about Raúl, said Sven Sven warned Arsenal about Raúl and 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 what was going on there, and they just ignored him and and allowed it to happen. They took they took sides. Yeah, well. You learn lessons. Sometimes you got to learn them harshly. Um, that summer, I mean, we did bring in players. We brought in Licksteiner, Socrates, Genduzzi, uh, Lucas Torreira, Bernd Leno. And Emery started pretty well. I, I know he had two very difficult games to kick off his career, Chelsea and, and was it Man City and Chelsea uh, to start with? The two first Premier League games of the season, but he did have a good, uh, a good unbeaten run in that first part of his tenure. Yeah, that he had a had an amazing run. Arsenal fans at the Fulham game singing "We've got our Arsenal back." <laughs> um, he was getting results. He was making subs at half time, and again at the start, it was like mm. this is incredible. Like he's making decisive, he's taking decisive action when things aren't right. Um, he dropped. Aaron Ramsey and, and Meza Ozil made a statement about the, the standards that he was going to have. Hmm. And I, I think that this was the point when XG really came to prominence because I think when we were watching it, we all felt that it, it looked good after the game when you looked at the results, but hmm. we were getting quite lucky. And um, the XG looked like uh, we were getting really lucky and there was either going to be a, a correction in play or a correction in results. Hmm. Um and, and sadly for Emery, it was a correction in results. Yeah, it was. I mean, it turned out, and that'll take us into next year and, and everything else. But that idea of Emery coming in, and and like you say, he dropped Ramsey, he dropped Mesut Ozil. There was a... I mean, I think there's some parallels to what's happening in recent times at Arsenal, where a manager has come in, he's tried to change a culture. There was talk of Ozil, an incident at the training ground, and he was dropped or he was back in the team then but but when he needed him he sort of went back to him was sort of he didn't have the courage of his convictions in certain ways and and I think that in some ways was a a precursor to what was uh, to come for Unai Emery that like the you know if you if you're strong and you stay strong people might not like it but they know who you are whereas if you're you 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 try and discipline and then you you roll back on it you just look soft yeah, if you make a decision and 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 you go back, you're you're dead in the eyes of the rest of the squad because there was mm. obviously a reason that he dropped Meza Özil, mm. and it was uh, it, it was a, a footballing reason and a discipline reason. And then when you go back, it looks like you're giving somebody special treatment. Yeah, and I, I actually think something that you know I was particularly guilty of. I don't think we realised how toxic the squad was. I don't think you know it, it on paper it looked like these were great players that had won trophies mm. that could hit a really high level, could be Champions League players. But I, th- I think what we've learned over the last two years under Arteta is there were really, really deep problems that Wenger was maybe pushing to one side um, and then maybe got compounded by some of the transfers that were made um, under Sven and then Raul. And then Emery didn't have the force of personality or maybe even the backing um, at exec level to mm. sort out um, those issues and th- there was certainly no patience from the fans um, heading into the back end of, of the season after. Yeah, I mean, the squad is, it's interesting to think about the squad and, and where they went and, and how they performed in that season because there was, what was it, 20 games more or less, 21, 22? 22 game run? Yeah, 
22 game run unbeaten, which is great. You know, there's no real arguing that. Some of the, re- the performances and results were a bit disappointing, but you know, you're you're in decent shape, and you could have gone on to to um, to achieve certain things, but. Yeah, just the football that he played and the way it went for him didn't really didn't really work out in the end for for Unai Emery. Just one other thing, I suppose we should talk about is you know contract situations, which again are things like Aaron Ramsey, where we can't hold on to players and and we can't keep them and we can't sort out their futures quickly enough. Because one of the first things I think that Raúl did when he became that head of football was say we have got to deal with contracts in a better way. We can't have players with two years left going into the final years of their contracts, which I suppose you have to give him credit for in that regard. But but we weren't ever able to do anything about it. No, and the Aaron, the Aaron, Rams, the, uh, sorry, the Aaron Ramsey yeah. uh, contract issue really was an odd one because um, Raul was, you know, started the job or, or was hired in 2017 and the issue was just allowed to, to run and run and run. And, mm. you know, it didn't seem like... Um, Emery was really interested in Ramsey at all. And you would have thought that, you know, he, he came in fairly early and he, he could have made a decision on shifting him on and, and added a little bit of money um, into the mixer. But yeah, um, Raul didn't really get to the bottom of the contracts issue. And I think like now Arsenal were starting to get a better grip. But when Raul did, did make a decision on contracts, mm. it was way off kilter or way out of um, way out of whack with what market rate was paying. And um you know, the either paying too little, uh, offering deals too late, um, or paying massively over the odds, and like you know, like we did with Obama, Yang, Erzul, and William before, mm. and it's just you know, for a, a KSE, I've been so frugal over the years in general, and it just baffled me that nobody at KSE said, "Can we get a grip on how we're." We're offering these deals. You wonder if some of the things that have happened over the past couple of years have opened their eyes a little bit, or certainly made them more hands-on. We know that they brought in player, or you know, Tim Lewis, people at executive level, and even Josh is more involved now. But you know that that idea that they could just sort of transition smoothly in the same hands-off way from like a legacy manager like Wenger. Uh, into somebody like Unai Emery, who was, you know, head coach. He didn't have that responsibility, but, you know, they didn't really do enough in that year um, to put in place the executive structures that a, you know, a top modern football club needs. Uh, I, I think the, the 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 key thing with it all mm. was there's no strategy. We didn't know how we wanted to play. We didn't know the sort of players that we wanted to buy. Um, and, you know, we hired a, a Barcelona transfer deal maker. Uh, we're not Barcelona. We hired Sven Mislintat, who had a very specific style, and we mismatched him with mm. a manager. And it looked good on paper, but it didn't fit together. And yeah. I feel like now it seems we've got all of the bits working together. And it might not succeed, but it has a better chance. Yeah, I mean, they were just desperately trying to get back into the the top four. That was it. It was like, can we bring in some experienced guys, a couple of young guys, see if we can get into the top four. Didn't work out, as we know, in that season. And uh, 2018 ended in pretty dismal fashion on the pitch, a 5-1 defeat to Liverpool uh, at Anfield. So on that cheery note, Pete, we'll leave it there. And uh, (laughs) I I did just want to say one more thing. Uh, I know it's uh, Arsblog's 20th birthday. I think I speak for all Arsenal fans in saying that you've done such an incredible job over such a long period of time with unbelievable consistency uh like your your blog was an inspiration for me starting up like you were the only one going daily mm. and I, I wanted 
I, I wanted more because I, I love what you did every day. So uh, you've been a staple of, of so many of my friends every day. So I just wanted to say thank you and congratulations. Uh, it's been incredible. Oh, thank you very much. And, you know, you're one of the only ones who's going daily still at this point as well. Good few years under your belt. So, no, yeah, thank you. That's, that, that's 14. Wow. So, look, thanks very much, Pete. Really appreciate that. Kind words. And thank you very much for chatting about 2018 with me. Awesome. Thank you. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.